You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with Travis Ryer on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. GHD2 Northport and W265CG Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. A Town Square Media Station. This is Southern Fried Sports with Bama Online Senior Analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Southern Pride Sports right here on your home for University of Alabama Athletics, Tide 100.9 FM. Travis Schreier, your trusty, if not talented host of the program with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. The show, as always, brought to you by Peter Brook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Titletown, USA, also known as Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Some really cool stuff they're doing there at Peterbrook in advance of Father's Day and a couple of Sundays. They're doing the children's handprints in chocolate. And what you get is a solid chocolate edible frame. And then you get the child's handprint within the frame. Awesome. Tugs at the old heartstrings. And even better, Pops can just uh, consume the whole thing. Entirely edible. The children's chocolate handprints for Father's Day right there at Peterbrook Chocolatier. Joined on the program by the executive producer of Southern Fried Sports, Jacob Harrison. And together, we combine to form the 60 of Sports Talk Radio. Jacob, how you doing on this hump day? Doing all right. Doing all right. And that sounds good enough for a Wednesday, right? I mean, that's about the best you can hope for. Still got a couple of days until the weekend. I tried to make it as much like the weekend last night as I possibly could. Took in the first minor league baseball game in a couple of years. Went by, scooped up Pops, spending some time in Florida these days. So able to go by, scoop up Pops. I actually offered to Pops. I said, look, let's go play nine holes at four o'clock and then at seven we'll go to the jumbo shrimp game the triple a affiliate of the miami marlins now used to be a double a town for the most part way 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 back once upon a time i believe jacksonville was a triple a town for the new york mets at the time tom Seaver, some of the greats in mets history uh went through northeast florida i offered him the duo the one-two punch Nine holes, just nine holes at four o'clock. And then uh, AAA baseball 
at uh, 7 o'clock, I got the response. And see, I have to go through Nana with all this because Pops doesn't text. So I have to uh, – she, she's the intermediary. I have to go through her to schedule him. And back comes the response, one or the other. He wasn't going to do both. Said he didn't have the energy these days for golf and a baseball game on top of it. So he settled for the AAA game. I knew he would. He'd rather go to the ballpark, even if it wasn't a thirsty Thursday last night. We know Pops loves those thirsty Thursdays. He'll probably be back tomorrow night for thirsty Thursday at the baseball grounds of Jacksonville. We go down there. It's nice because you can go online, you can pick your seats, you just walk in, they scan your phone. All of this is happening, and Pops is just in utter disbelief at how logistically we're going into the ballpark, how it's so easy due to technology, even though he continues to fight against it tooth and nail. Just will not come on board where technology is concerned. So we get in the ballpark. We're about 30 minutes early before first pitch. We got time to get a dog hit the concession, so that's what we do. We both get the standard ballpark dog. And if there was a silver lining from minor league baseball being canceled last year, it's that you feel more of a sense of confidence that the concession items, you know, aren't left over from, say, the 2020 playoffs from last September, maybe, in minor league baseball. You got to think because there was no minor league baseball last year, that all that popcorn, all those hot dogs, all that stuff that you kind of worry about sometimes, right? When you go to the minor league ballpark, you're wondering, I wonder if this hot dog, you know, has already had a birthday and I, and I don't really know it. Uh, so you, you feel a little better about that standard concession stand dog. We hit it with the, uh, we hit it with the mustard and the packaged relish and it was fine. We both got a bag of the roasted salted peanuts. And so we eat our dogs. Game starts. I look over at Pops in about the fourth inning. And these roasted bags, these bags of roasted peanuts, I mean, they're pretty good sized. I think you can share them. They're big enough. I look over there about the fifth inning. Pops has demolished the entire bag. He loves those roasted peanuts. So they're gone. He's done. He's done with the concessions. Uh, but we saw the jumbo shrimp look and the ballpark's nice enough. It's not regions field in Birmingham, uh, regions field in Birmingham, a very, very nice ballpark, a little newer than the ballpark in Jacksonville. So in terms of ballpark comparisons, regions field, a good bit nicer in my opinion, but man, people love that jumbo shrimp gear and that jumbo shrimp merchandise. They got a little pro shop or gift shop there team shop they call it right at the ballpark and it was just loaded up and last night by the way at the ballpark uh the 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 baseball grounds of jacksonville was the first night that they'd had full capacity for the crowd so you had a pretty big crowd for a tuesday night but man that team shop people just can't it was a stroke of genius i remember when the jumbo shrimp name came out and people were like that is the dumbest thing i've ever heard People can't get enough of the gear. I can promise you there's just as much presence for jumbo shrimp paraphernalia and gear in Northeast Florida these days, at least before the draft there was. Now, with the Jaguars getting Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer coming in, I think there's probably been an influx, a sort of revamp of Jag gear. But before that, you might have actually seen more jumbo shrimp stuff. 
around Northeast Florida. But that that team shop was loaded. I mean, they couldn't keep the stuff on the shelves. And so we saw a couple of things last night at the ball game. We saw in the top of the second inning, the Norfolk Tide skipper gets ejected in the top of the second, which led me to believe with that particular umpire, Gary Kendall, the manager for the Norfolk Tides, had had a previous issue probably in the not-too-distant past, like maybe over last weekend or in the, in the previous uh, just few days. Because top of the second, he gets run, which is awesome. You know, you, you just want to see stuff like that when you go to the minor league baseball game. Now, Pops, he actually roots for the Jumbo Shrimp. I don't care. It's minor league baseball. I'm not a Marlins fan to begin with. So I just want to see things like that. I, that was a bonus. Um, and then on the drive home, I saw my first motorcycle accident that I've ever seen. And thankfully the, the, the guy was fine because pops and I were right behind this guy. It looked like a brand new Harley too. I mean, this thing's probably 40 grand or so. I don't know how much Harley's cost, but this was a nice one. And I knew it was nice because I was in the lane that I was supposed to be in to access a ramp up onto the interstate. And this guy comes through the right side, the middle lane flying through downtown on this Harley. And he's trying to beat everybody up to get into that lane, to get up onto the interstate himself. And I'm guessing he was fairly new at the whole motorcycle deal. No helmet. This guy's got on shorts and a t-shirt flying, no helmet. And he ends up in front of us well ahead of us actually. So he didn't need to really be speeding when he went to hit the curve on the ramp. But man, he laid that baby down laid it down, sparks everywhere. He slides a good bit. We pull up next to him. I say, hey, you okay? He says, yeah, I'm good. We go up, do a U-turn. When we come back around, he's thinking he's just going to make a few minor adjustments to this Harley by hand and be able to just ride off like nothing happened. He's trying to play off a motorcycle accident. That's kind of hard to do when you lay it down in shorts and no helmet and a T-shirt. And so when we come back by, now he's – he stalled. You know, he's coming to that reality that he probably just did five grand plus in damage to a brand new Harley. And I can see where he laid it down on that left side, his forearm and his elbow, even though it's dark, I can see, man, the road rash. So he's had better Wednesdays, I'm thinking. But it was example number 1,278 why yours truly won't be on a Harley anytime soon. Okay. I used to think I wanted a Harley. I used to be in that camp. And then I spent 71 days in a rehab hospital as a result of a car accident. And I met some individuals during that extended stretch in said rehab hospital who were lucky they made it to the rehab hospital as a result of motorcycle injuries. Met a homicide detective. Both knees replaced after a motorcycle accident. I was good on that after those uh, introductions and meeting those folks. 205-342-9904. That is the Peterbrook Chocolatier Studio Line. So there you go. I'd say my Tuesday was pretty eventful compared to most, right? Time of year that it is. You don't think a whole lot's going on, but uh, enjoyed the minor league baseball. I'll be back. Speaking of baseball, 
And really, we touched on this yesterday on the program. You see this morning that Alabama football now has added another home and away. This one with Boston College set for the 2030s. Now, I've said it before with some of these future series, they're so far out, you know, and they're a little bit depressing in a way. As you get older, you get into your 50s, you see these series announced for 12, 13 years from now. And initially you're thinking, oh, that'll be cool. And then the second thought that hits you is that, am I going to be room temp when Alabama goes to BC in 10, 12 years? I know it's morbid, but it's called mortality. You know, you start having those thoughts. But Alabama, Boston College, Alabama, scheduling the uh, scheduling the Catholic schools pretty good here. Going to have BC now to join Notre Dame, kind of back-to-back there with Notre Dame and BC. And what you're going to have, too, is the potential for some really good in that stretch with Notre Dame and then into BC. You're going to have the opportunity for some really good baseball-football combo weekends, right? We talked about Notre Dame in 2029 in relation to going into Chicago, checking out Cubs games, maybe get there Thursday, go to the Thursday game, maybe the Friday game too. Saturday, you're at Notre Dame Stadium for Alabama, Notre Dame. Well, how about BC? That game is scheduled for September the 13th in 2031. Yeah, you get up to Boston. The Red Sox are in town. You, uh, You might even be able to tie that in because of how the NFL schedules work, and they start usually, the NFL does, the week after Labor Day. They start the week after week one of college football. You might be able to tie in the Pats for that BC trip. You might be able to go Red Sox, Alabama, BC, and then uh, Mac Jones in 2031. How about that potential there up in New England for you? When Alabama makes that trip. And again, as we know, these series, these the scheduling, it's all subject to change. We've already seen Notre Dame moved. So uh, it's written in in pencil when you start putting them this far out. But it's fun to think about. 205-342-9904. What about the Florida State softball team? I had that one. Florida State, Oklahoma, game one of the Women's College World Series Championship Series. Uh Last night, I had that one on the telephone, on the uh, iPhone. We were watching it at the minor league game. And boy, Florida State just keeps doing it. Eight to four winners last night over Oklahoma. And we have Corey on hold, and I'm going to ask him this question. And I'd be interested in the response from Alabama fans, seeing as how Florida State double-dipped the Crimson Tide on Sunday and Monday. Who are you pulling for? Are you bitter? About that Florida State one-two that uh, you suffered there at the hands of the Seminoles enough that you'll root for Patty Gasso and in Oklahoma? I'm not. I'm pulling for Florida State in these finals. Yeah. So one win away. Florida State on the verge of winning a second national title in the last three that have been contested. Because you didn't have one last year. Florida State won it in 2018 and could do it again with one more win. Let's talk to Corey right now on the Peterbrook Chocolatier Studio Line. Corey, how you doing? 
Good morning, Jarris. How you doing this morning? Doing good. You doing okay? You recovering okay, Corey? I'm doing great. And you know, at first last night I didn't care who won. But really, <laughs> if you think about it, the way Florida State won last night, if Florida State can win tonight, especially if they play really well and dominate again, it'll tell me that Alabama just ran into a really hot team at the wrong time and that that even Oklahoma couldn't stop them. I mean, pretty much from the beginning of the year, well, in the preseason, people picked UCLA and Oklahoma to be in the championship game and more likely UCLA to win the championship because they had Rachel Garcia and Bubba Nichols. And, and then once Oklahoma's offense started rolling and you saw the stats, people thought, okay, Oklahoma's going to win the title because they had all their players and the stats, and it's in their backyard. And once the once the bracket came out, everybody saw, okay, Oklahoma, UCLA for the championship, and Oklahoma's probably going to win because their stats. And and then uh, James Madison upset them in the in the first game, and then people thought, okay, Oklahoma still can get there, but then they did, and. Florida State just came hot at the right time, and I know we lost them, but I think, if, like I said, if Florida State beats them tonight, I think it just proves that they just ran out there. And, 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 and yeah, I think, Corey, I, I, think, I think if you're an Alabama fan and that is the way it plays out, you can take some solace in that because Florida State looking more and more like a team of destiny, and it once again underscores the point that you can play great all year or you can play great for two months solid, but you can also run into a team that finds it in a two week period, really, you know, like Florida state has done and, uh, you know, going through the, the Baton Rouge region, uh, super to take out LSU, which I thought was a favorable draw for Florida state. I wasn't really sold on LSU as a top eight national seed, um, but they have certainly validated their presence uh, there in Oklahoma City, and um, you know you almost feel like they're in a in a not so great spot tonight because they're not up against elimination. But they weren't last night either, and they looked very very good. So yeah, it could be that Florida State's just that team, and uh, for for Alabama, unfortunately, they they ran into it. Would you agree that they have to win it tonight? Because if they push to game three, it favors Oklahoma tomorrow. I would, except that we know Florida State's 8-0 in their last eight elimination games in Oklahoma City. Uh, so, you know, I, 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 would, I would typically agree with that assumption. Um, and it would make all the sense in the world, especially with Patty Gasso taking these extended team conferences in the middle of innings. So the rest of the dugout can go out and lead, you know, 5,000 Oklahoma fans and cheers. But Florida State just seems like a team that's wired in a way that they don't either notice that or it fuels them to get the job done. You know, there's, there's a lot of competitive athletes a lot of teams, they love those situations. They thrive on it. Florida State seems like they might be one of them. Are you, let me ask you this, switching subjects for just a second. Do, do you feel good about Alabama repeating this year? And I say that because 
if there's one, I'm not saying I'm also going to do this necessarily, but complacency is always the one thing that can can ruin a team from the inside out. And we have the talent to repeat. It's just complacency is going to be the toughest thing. And we have the schedule. We have the talent. It's just complacency is going to be the biggest thing to avoid. And, and that's a nature thing. I mean, it's hard to avoid complacency when you when you've already won a championship the year prior. And I'm just asking you, do you feel good about our chances of repeating or, or do you think there's something blocking our path from repeating, whether it's a team or a position or, or We're talking football now, right? Yes. I, look, um, you know, a lot of it's going to be contingent upon how they transition to some key spots, obviously, on the offensive side of the ball. Is Bryce Young ready for prime time? I tend to believe that he is. Uh, will they be able to get the sort of leadership they need on that side of the ball after so much of their team leadership in general? You know, they had four permanent team captains come from the offensive side of the ball last year. So, you know, Bryce Young's going to have to step it up intangibly too. Even though he's a second-year player, uh, he's going to be asked to take on more of that than we've typically seen from maybe some quarterbacks at Alabama in recent years. And that's where having guys, though, like Chris Owens, Brian Robinson over there, that should be extremely beneficial. And Kendall Randolph as well. Whether or not Kendall Randolph's a starter at offensive tackle, is a hybrid, whatever his level of participation is uh, in terms of playing time, he still can be that kind of guy as well. I think Evan Neal can give him that. Going into his third year, Mechie's going to need to be more of that. Slate Bolden can provide that at the wide receiver position. So, no, they've got the people. And, you know, I think I saw a tweet here in the last day or so from either Dr. Matt Ray or David Ballou just crowing about how much they loved the makeup of this team so far in their early stages of maybe summer workouts. And it was noted within the tweet, can they sustain it? But early indications are as much as that team a year ago uh, was superior in the ways of intangibles and leadership and all those things, early indications are that they like what they've got in that regard this time around. Hey, Corey, we always appreciate the call. Good talk to you, Travis. Roll Tide. There he goes. Corey checking in with us on a Wednesday. Let's head to the first break of the program. We come back. Cecil Hurt of the Tuscaloosa News and Tidesports.com. He'll join us on Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. Alabama football countdown clock is driven by Crawford Insurance, Tuscaloosa's low-cost auto insurer. Call 752-6489 for a free quote today. There are there are there are 87 days until Alabama football. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Cloudy at times with scattered to numerous showers and thunderstorms this afternoon and tonight. A high today 86, the low tonight 70. Tomorrow partially sunny, warm and humid. Scattered showers and storms developing again. The high at 87. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 84 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9. For more coverage of Alabama football, visit us at Tide100.9.com or download the free Tide 100.9 app. The Crimson Tide will not be denied. 
this day in 1978, the Rolling Stones released Some Girls. I remember that one around Casa de Ryer as, I guess, a 10-year-old. Because we had the old reel-to-reel setup. I know, I'm dating myself significantly here, but reel-to-reel back in the day meant that you were very, very serious about your music. And we had this one reel-to-reel. Shadow Babe. I bet Cecil Hurd knows what I'm talking about when it comes to the reel-to-reel era. How about it, Cecil? Yeah, that was the, the jazz people and the classical people all had their reel-to-reel set up. I'm not sure why my folks had one, but they had it, you know, and we we had uh, Stones, we had uh, Bob Seger where back you in the late those, 70s. Where were, where were y'all getting reel-to-reel tapes like that unless you were... Uh, I don't know. Unless Pops was taping them off the FM. I don't know. I don't. I can't tell you, but I remember it. I remember it. And uh, you couldn't just walk yeah. into the record store and buy big reel to reel. We had the turntable too. Now, I mean, that was that was more of the the standard. I don't think we had you know a sort of complete catalog of reel to reel, but we had some reel to reels. I don't know where they came from. I can't tell you. There's no telling as bootleg as the folks were back in the day. So uh, I can't. I can't. Maybe he was just mailing off. <laughs> ah, there's no telling, Cecil. Yeah, hey, yeah, a lot uh, of the real was live jazz or live classical. Yeah. People yeah. What was the company that made those? Real, it was like a, a, a key, uh, Akia or something like that. Yeah. It was the name. Yeah. Was the brand? I mean, I, yeah. we they were serious the big, about it. The big yeah. ones, yeah. Yeah, the big. These were big. They absolutely Didn't, were. Yeah, but oh, you don't get any of the album pops or you know yeah or whatever they were, they were yeah. couldn't, couldn't we also, take that we also had one of those awful custom custom vans you know that had the shag carpet in it and the couch that would turn into a dining room table in the back don't tell me, yeah, we had don't tell me pops had a reel-to-reel in there <laughs> No, he wasn't Jack Horner in Boogie Nights. No, that that yeah. wasn't Pops in the in the late seventies. But um, I could put a nineteen seventy eight playlist of just that year on and probably be okay for a few weeks just listening to nineteen seventy eight, Cecil. Sure, absolutely. Um, part it's kind of it. all happening, wasn't it? In seventy eight, everything was yeah. coming together. Everything hadn't split apart the, the way that it has now. You had so. punk still. You yeah. had rap coming into play. You had the uh, the rock and roll. I guess yeah, we're coming yeah. out of Zeppelin and some of that. Yeah, some of it, but um, yeah, you had some new wave. You had some old Let's wave. Go. You, had, you had that album, Some Girls, was which was huge, obviously. But uh, kind of think of seventy eight. Um. Had some Werewolf of London, definitely. Werewolves of London, um, Excitable Boy was definitely '78. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of there was a lot of new wave, you know, Elvis Costello, and Blondie, Talking Heads, Blondie, um, Patty Smith Group, you know, however you wanted to to lump all that. Um, so 
but yeah, you could uh, you could play some you could play some tunes from from that era and uh, be well be well said. I think so. Maybe even that was about Sugar Hill Gang, wasn't it? Rappers Delight was about just them? about just about coming. Um, right there on the edge. Yeah, some of these are going to be seventy seven. Some of these are going to be seventy nine. But uh, right yeah, you just, you were just on the. Uh, on the verge of, of getting some of that. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the older bands were still, you know, putting out product. Too. But, yeah, Bondi definitely, definitely. Would have been, would have been, kind of think 78 would have been after Born to Run. So that would have been Darkness at the Edge of Town for Springsteen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right in there again. You know, somebody called up said that was November seventy. So I, I, I get, I get that. Um, but yeah, there was a lot going on in in those years, um, and things were transitioning, and there there was about to be some some new stuff coming on the horizon. But some girls, some girls kind of had all of it. You know, it, it had some. Some rock and some soul covers, you know. Just my imagination was on there. And but some girls was was the the biggest album I remember that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the nostalgia, sort of. Uh, it wasn't entirely. Seventy-eight. Mm-hmm. So. About four or five years later, Cecil, we get this news today of Boston College in Alabama. With a home and home for oh a decade or so away from now, but I guess it's not all that difficult, or it is difficult to think about BC and Alabama, and not think about Kerry Good, think about Doug Flutie, uh, and go back to what the early eighties, eighty three ish or so, eighty three and eighty four, eighty three up there, coldest, iciest, rainiest. Nastiest Alabama game um, I can remember, right up there with any of them. Um, you know, Auburn two thousand or, or any of them. Um, no, ninety eight Music City Bowl. Oof. For what? Yeah, ninety eight Music City Bowl, seventy six Liberty Bowl, which was just cold. You know, it was blowing and sleet, flush, semi snow up in Boston. How? How that game in Boston got scheduled for November the twenty fourth or twenty fifth, I'll never remember. So, uh, but it was, it, it, and then turned around and played the opener here in eighty four, Alabama versus Doug Flutie again, and and Kerry uh, Good just dominating the first half and then getting hurt on the second half kickoff. Never really the, never really the same after that. So we continue to see these home and homes. I think the fans obviously love it uh, in terms of the bucket list aspect of it as well. Being able to travel and go to places like South Bend, Columbus, Ohio, Austin, Texas, Madison, Wisconsin. We run down these future opponents, and I wanted to ask you, are you surprised there isn't more of a Pac-12 presence in this with the home and homes? Travel cars. You know, there is a series with Arizona. Right. But just 
get out to California, give back, and you don't know, you may have a conference game the next week. Mm-hmm. So, so those are less likely than than um, ACC, Big Ten, Big Twelve. Um, it's just a much. I mean, Alabama, Washington would be a great series, but who wants to who wants to do that travel as a coach? Oh, yeah, you know, Alabama. I, I've always wanted, I've always wanted Alabama, Stanford, Rose Bowl rematches but uh don't know that you can get out of the to the bay area uh, i wouldn't be surprised to see that arizona game um it's a long way away but you know friday night or you know just to to um, alleviate some of that give you a few extra days to recover would love, would love to see them of course if that at that time, Las Vegas will be one of the 32-team playoff host sites, and you could play uh, <laughs> you could play Oregon State there in in the Vegas NFL stadium. Once the once the playoffs expanded to the top four teams in every league. Oh, jeez. Speaking of which, I was going to ask you about the buzz surrounding expansion with the college football playoff. What do you think it needs to be next? Because there is going to be a next, as we know, in, in terms of number of teams. And what do you think we're actually going to get when they I don't, make this inevitable I, move? I don't know where the, the – and I, I'm not discrediting the reporter who do a great job that, that 12 is suddenly the number. Um, the, the hypothetical – possibility there of having to play 17 games um is is uh, I'll, I'll be i'll be perfectly honest with you 13 was tough enough this year now there are a lot of extenuating circumstances this year but 13 was tough enough i can't imagine somebody winning their conference getting one of those um, first round games, um, which I guess you'd have four of those, uh, and then having to play three more games, you know, because you've gone from four to eight, uh, and, um, playing 17 games. Um, uh, you know, how it would work out, I, I think, you know, all things being equal, um, Alabama would be fine with it. They feel like they could pretty consistently be in the playoff as they have been, but um, to, to say, well, it'll change up the parity at the top. Anything's possible, but but I will say this: um, football is not basketball, and the Cinderella story, you know, Loyola Chicago or somebody. That, that that might happen in around a twelve game, where you're not playing one of the top three or four. But I'm not a believer. People can argue this. People can say jump up and down and say, "Oh, you know, this is this is what would happen with a undefeated Memphis team or Toledo." I, you know, I I don't 
think they want a whole lot of LSU or Georgia or Alabama or Clemson um, or Oklahoma in a playoff scenario. I think you would you might see an upset. You would see more forty eight to seven than you would upsets. Which only reaffirms what we already knew. I mean, it's about it's about the money. If you're going is, sure. to anything really more sure. than eight, eight should be enough, shouldn't it, to identify a real champion in, in college I football? Think so your five, your five conference yeah. champs, and and then you hash out if you want to reserve one of the three remaining spots for group of five and hash it out from there. Um, that would work. The other thing, I mean, you you would just have to determine, particularly in a twelve, even in an eight. What what's what's your purpose of of the SEC championship game? Um, all it did last year, all it would have done last year, would have put. I, I think Florida might have still been in, but it would have been to put Florida on the bubble. You know from being definitely in to putting them on the bubble because they'd lost to LSU the week before. Um, why, why, why eliminate yourself in, in a conference championship game? when, Particularly when it's a conference championship level game like that. Uh, a lot of years, the SEC championship game has been better than the college football semifinals, including last year. Alabama-Florida, great game. So, um, you know, what are you going to do with that? What what would be the – what's the purpose of Alabama playing Florida last year when all it did hypothetically and certainly in a four-team, but hypothetically in an eight-team, would be knock out a team that if you just had the two divisional champs, Florida would have been safely in. So, um, and A&M would have been in. Um, so it, it's, it's uh, that's something that they're going to have to weigh. If you, if, if you take out um, the conference championship game, are you, do you, do you go from eight to nine? Everybody loves 10. Do you go from eight to nine um, conference game? The Nick Saban plan? I don't know. If, if it goes to nine conference games at any point in the near future, Alabama is going to be playing basically nothing but a P five schedule. You know, and if you do take away the if you take away the conference championship game, you better have something that can backfill for that because. Look somebody's at the check ESPN. ESPN's about to write that. Yeah, ESPN's about to write the big check, right, for that CBS spot in the SEC. So and, and SEC's going to be sitting there and saying, well, and, and hearing, well, you know, we just won't have conference championship games. Well, you know, that means one thing to Conference USA or the MAC, and it yeah. means an entirely different thing to the SEC. Mm-hmm. Because you know, you're, pa- you're packaging that. Sure you are. Sure. Sure. Um, so um, all that's got to be worked out. 
So I don't know that there's an absolute proposal on the table that the SEC would rubber stamp right now. Um, but but my thought is, if, if you're going to say, ultimately, well, we'll do away with these conference championship games, we can't be playing, have, have teams playing 17 games, and the SEC is going to say, fine, but we want our slice of the pie to be bigger. Yeah. You know, we want, yeah. we want, we want to be compensated for that. Yeah. So, complicated negotiation. It's interesting because it doesn't seem as if maybe NC, uh, university presidents have all that much of a problem with extending schedules to potentially 17 games, but, uh, fighting tooth and nail against this name, image, and likeness, including today up in front of Congress, where it looks like NCAA President Mark Emirates taking a pretty good paddling up there, which is essentially is his job, right? I mean, that, this, is, this is why he makes what he makes, is to just get flogged in public like he is today. Right. right. He, he's, he's got a big contract for the same reason that Wiley Coyote had a big contract <laughs> in the Roadrunner cartoon. He's there to take a beat, you know, get the get the Acme ten ton ball dropped on his head. He's a jobber, Cecil. He's a jobber, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, you know, but but jobber heel. Yeah, he's he, he's almost like a Mister McMahon heel, you know. <laughs> he's not he's not like a heel that's been beating guys, getting some heat on him. He's just a <laughs> he's just a slow, you know. He's management. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, he's like, he's like Stone Cold versus Mr. McMahon. Cecil, I know you had some poignant thoughts about this Alabama softball team. I know you've heard a lot of the same things we have and Alabama fans very passionate about softball uh, over the last decade plus. Thanks in large part to Patrick Murphy. And uh, We've we've also heard some second guessing from the the fan base. Which my takeaway from that Cecil is that that is as indicative of how relevant Alabama softball is than anything else. Because sure. we hear sure. the same type of passion and the same type of quantity of voices. It seems like with Alabama softball these days, as we hear almost with Alabama football. Yeah, now I, I agree with that. Now wait until. Football and win. <laughs> you know? Oh um, sure. Wait till they oh, lose sure. a um, and and you hear you know you hear second guessing, third guessing, and fourth guessing about who Saban started and why they did what they did and so forth. But yeah, it, you know, and that's I think that's fine. I think there's a value to it. I don't discount anybody's opinion. I'm not. Yeah, I I can't get into the magical thinking, you know that that we I know or we know that if Montana Faust had started that first game on Sunday, she did she did no hit Florida State, but because she pitched Monday, they scored eight runs on, you know. Mm-hmm. But what? How how do we know either of those would have been true? How do we know she would have been sharp? on Sunday um, that the offense would have been any better than it was. Uh, we don't, you know, you, you can speculate that Sunday Montana, you know, I wrote this, that 
Sunday Montana would have been great, but Monday Montana was <coughs> terrible. And, you know, and that's not blaming Montana. They wouldn't have been there without Montana fouls. Believe me, one of the great pitchers in, in the game today. So, but, yeah, you know, what if what if Murph starts her and they lose? Do you just throw her 14 innings? Put her back out there. I mean, they can lose one to nothing. The offense didn't score. And do you just put her back out there? Do you lose? Do you use Lexi then? I mean, you know, a lot went into it at the time. Uh, Murph thought he'd have a second game on Sunday if they didn't win that first one. And the weather changed that. So, and somebody said, "Well, they knew it at midway through the first game." So you're going to go out and pull Lexi? And put Montana in when you're mm-hmm. behind. You know, I mean, is, is it, would that have been the strategy? I mean, it's easy to say. You know, as, as you know, it's easy to say if they had if they had started Montana in the first game, she'd have, she'd have pitched another perfect game. But nobody knows that. And the facts that we have in front of us are that Florida State had a good scouting report. Um was able to, to hit her, and, and she wasn't at her sharpest, whether she would have been on Sunday or not. Who knows? But, um, it's, <laughs> it, you know, it, that's that's very, very similar um, to, to, you know, you can go back to Jalen or Tua or, or um, why didn't, why didn't against Clemson, you know, why didn't Sarkeesian run the ball more? Well, in the game that Bo broke his leg, you know, why, how yeah. did Clemson get up plays? Well, part of it, Bo Scarborough broke his leg. Um, so you can, but, but then, then it, you know, why, did, why didn't they stick to the run? You know, every, every loss has a thousand reasons, you know, and, and you can grasp onto one. And um, ride that for as hard as you feel like you want to ride it, you know. So yeah, and if Florida State finishes off Oklahoma tonight in two games, maybe that'll be the answer. That Alabama just simply ran into a damn good team at the wrong time. Really well coached. I'm really confident. Uh, pitching's good enough, so we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, uh, and and um, would be the second time that they've done it. Would be mm-hmm. the second time that they've been fairly um, moderately seated, I, I guess I would say, and mm-hmm. gone to Oklahoma City and put it all together. Yeah. So credit to credit to them. Well, see, so we'll as we let you go, Oklahoma could hit nine home runs tonight and tomorrow yeah. night. Yeah, it could happen. Yeah. As we let you go, Cecil, I'm just going to let you know that uh, I don't like uh, Julio Jones in the AFC South as much as I liked him in your NFC South, just for the record, (laughs) just so we're clear on that. I, uh, you know, Julio against the Saints was always, was always good. It's going to be, it's going to be fascinating. To see, um, 
Julio and Derek in the same offense. That's, that's, um, never thought I'd see it. Alabama's had some physically impressive dudes in the Nick Saban era, but yeah. those two have got to be top three or so if they're not top two. That's one A and one B, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, that's that's probably right. That's one. Yeah, you know, um, some of the other guys are different, but if, if you talk about built for the NFL, uh, mm-hmm. those, they, they got to be. One A and one B, and now they're both in Nashville. So, no doubt. It'll well, be, Cecil, it'll be interesting to see now all the Titans have to do is trade for Tua, and, and the the dream will be complete for Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would uh, that would be the capper, no doubt about it. Hey, Cecil, always appreciate the time, man. Sure, glad to do it. There you go. Cecil Hurt of the Tuscaloosa News and Tidesports.com back to put a wrap on a Wednesday edition of Southern Fried Sports right after this. All right, we have Tide 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. Cloudy at times with scattered to numerous showers and thunderstorms this afternoon and tonight. The high today 86, the low tonight 70. Tomorrow partially sunny, warm and humid. Scattered showers and storms developing again. The high at 87. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 84 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The flagship station for Alabama Crimson Tide football. Alabama touchdown. Only on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Back to put a wrap on a Wednesday edition of Southern Fried Sports. Thanks, as always, to the incomparable. Cecil Hurt of the Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa News and Tidesports.com joining us on the program today. Thanks, as always, to Jacob Harrison doing an outstanding job of producing the program. The Lunch Whistle on this Wednesday, Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa. They had their Kraft Burger Tuesday yesterday. And the Fiesta Burger looked like it was to die for. And the good news is you can get great burgers every day of the week among several other fantastic items on that Southern Ale House menu. Get by there for lunch right now. Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North. Until 11 a.m. on Thursday. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, everybody. 